Good morning, Bitcoiners. That's right. You're here at the Ordinals Show. I'm Trevor, BDC managing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund and CEO of Ninja Alerts. And I'm here with my co-host, Jan, builder at Xvers, as well as the king of NFT Sparta himself, Leonidas, the man whose name is synonymous with NFT history, Twitter spaces host, and NFT history wiki creator. And we're here to talk about Bitcoin Ordinals with some of the smartest people in the space. We host this show Monday mornings at turn 30 a.m. Eastern and Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern to hit all the time zones to spread the good word about this new movement of art, culture, media, trading tools, and new kinds of digital assets being built on Bitcoin L1. Ordinals, what? For those of you just tuning in for the first time, ordinals and inscriptions are a new kind of on-chain non-fungible token first created on Bitcoin. An ordinal is just a piece of a Bitcoin. It's a Satoshi that's had a file inscribed to it. The media is uploaded and stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. These ordinals are fractions of Bitcoins and work just like Bitcoins. They don't require any smart contracts. They're simple, elegant, and powerful. But more important than this technology is the cultural change we're seeing on Bitcoin. Users and developers are pouring in and innovation is accelerating. And that's what we're here to talk about. With that, let's introduce our guests. Of course, we've got Udi Wertheimer, the Grand Wizard himself. We've got Adam McBride from Emblem Ball. We've got Danny from Onchain Monkeys. Albert from the Bitcoin Startup Lab. DeWalker from Hero and many more joining us throughout the show. So I'm excited to be here, guys. I'm glad that you're all here with me. And don't forget to follow the Bitcoin Ordinal Show on Twitter at The Ordinal Show. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter, link in bio. We post weekly recaps in the newsletter and RSVP links for future shows so you never miss what's happening in the Ordinal space. We have another super packed show. So we are going to start off here with what can we rally behind as a community. It's just a clear milestone that everybody knows when we made it or we didn't make it. And what could that be? I think our de facto is fall back on 10 million inscriptions. Wait, I thought 1 million was the number. I thought 1 million did it, man. 1 million didn't solidify this thing? Shit. Adam, I, this is my honest opinion. Protocols really last a really long time. It's really hard. And if we look at, I mean, think about EOS in 2017 and 2018. So much excitement, so much energy we're a ton of developers and that for whatever reason, right? Like that kind of just fizzled out. When we hit a billion inscriptions, I'll rest easy at night. Until then, one million, it's an awesome milestone and we need to pat ourselves on the back and just appreciate how far we've come. But it does not steal the deal on this in any way, shape or form. We have a massive amount of work to do. Yeah, ZK. Yeah, I was going to say like something, it's an interesting question, but maybe now we should start counting like, inscriptions minus the brc20 json files and then also start counting the market cap and hoping calls and aggregators start tracking volume and start actually being able to compare the market caps of collections and also just the entire market cap of specific art to eth and soul because then i think we could really gauge how much this ecosystem has to grow reasonably as more developers are attracted to it over the next year or whatever but yeah, interesting question. Agreed. Market cap is probably the metric I personally go by as far as just trying to actually just measure, okay, how do we stack up against these other chains? Like, how do we stack up against these other protocols? And I'll tell you right now, like, we are way smaller than Ethereum NFTs. Like, we are a tiny little, like, by market cap, we have a massive amount of way to go still. There, I can think of 20 projects off the top of my head that have a market cap bigger than all of Ordinal inscriptions. So I, I do think that is important to put that into perspective for people because while there's like a lot of excitement that's maybe more disproportional, like ultimately on Ethereum, there's some incredible art that's been created over the last five years or so 
and just incredible projects. And you don't necessarily hear people like going crazy about crummy squiggles every day, but that doesn't mean they don't hold their $200 million market cap, which is probably bigger than all of Ordinal inscriptions. So my point here is we are still a very nascent ecosystem, pretty tiny here. And yes, it's very exciting because there's lots of dropping every day, lots of new assets, but we only have two months worth of assets. And ultimately it takes years to build up ecosystem like this is literally just how it works. Yeah, I'm not even sure where I was going with that, but very much second the thinking in market caps. This is one of my missions is to get people thinking in market caps, not floor prices. I think, yeah, say for you're up next and then Danny. Yeah, I agree with ZK completely. I think tracking independent types or even qualities of inscriptions is going to be the next thing. Waiting for 10 million is too far out there for most people. So instead, if you say, we're at 529,000 images right now. One million's coming up again, images only this time, which is insane. Uh, and then as for when we've made it, everybody has to have their own opinion on that. It's just like Bitcoin itself. It's permissionless, so we all have to be responsible for ourselves. With that said, for me, the moment I will say inscriptions are, quote-unquote, a permanent standard that will continue to receive development is the moment we create something new tech-wise specifically because of the constraints of this ecosystem. Whether that's we look back at how can we compress things, how can we optimize things, or we create something new on top of Bitcoin. Currently, what we have is inscriptions are a data storage format that was theorized when Segwit was being pushed through originally, which is, what, 2012, 2014? And then most of the tooling around it uses tech and ideas that were developed previously as well. The moment we have new development for this specific set of constraints, I think that's the moment you can say it's made it as a standard. Yeah, I think excellent metrics there. And I do agree it's ultimately, we all in our own heads have these kind of subjective milestones. The thing that's, again, it's human psychology. There's something about just these round numbers where we can all get excited for it and it like every single person understands it. I would challenge you to maybe somehow formalize what you said there and you don't have to do this now, but formalize some sort of like goal that people can rally behind. Elon kind of famously had the goal of accelerating the advent of electric vehicles being Tesla's goal. Every it just makes sense like that clicks with everybody. What's a mission that we can create that cuz I agree with you. The question is, how do we formalize that and say it in a short, clear, like kind of tagline that people are going to understand and it'll spread naturally? Yeah, Danny. Yeah, I think there are two important words that are part of the goals we should get to for the next level of Ornos. Well, first, you know, Ornos, the protocol is very early. And so the two words that the last two speakers spoke were standards and market cap. So the example would be, it's not easy to figure out what's a market cap for different collections or like people don't know like is it, right now orders are pretty technical many people in the space are technical and they do their own thing which is great but just like with the early days of ethereum when crypto punks came out right larva lab was technical they can make crypto punks but many creators could not and then those later when basically after they had some ethereum improvement proposals crc721 where you actually got a bunch of creators making ethereum nfts so for Ordinals, we actually have a bunch of issues, or rather Casey, even back in November, December, had a bunch of what he thought, he has a roadmap for Ordinals, right? And Ordinals actually became the thing it is now, or took off before that roadmap 
actually many of the things on our roadmap were even implemented, but they were described in pretty much in detail, the ordinal specification or the protocol specification. And a few of the important ones were like 783, collections and provenance, 876, bundles, 1082, recursion. And these are actually pretty well thought out. And even some of them are had the code ready. We just, as a community, have to decide to rally behind them. The important one would be really the indexing thing, or we are celebrating 1 million inscriptions. There are a few inscriptions that are valid, but weren't counted. So the question is, do we want to renumber them? Or do we want to say, let's set a block height at some point where we can all agree to set up the new indexing or rather to index everything properly. And I think actually I see Orly in the audience. Maybe he can come up and say some things about that because he's been, he's on the you know, or team and been working on that. One of the important things that this will help towards is inscriptions can be made, like you can have bundles, right? Bundling 876 is having multiple inscriptions on a single transaction. So multiple inputs can have inscriptions. And that will help in terms of also more clear provenance and scalability. And it's actually part of design because when you look at the inscription address now, right, it has this long hash, the transaction hash, plus I0. So it could be I1, I2, I3, right? Right now, the issue with indexing is it doesn't support that yet. So it's really a simple update. We just have to get everyone aligned on it. So here, let's, Trevor, let's go to you real quick. And then I think we need to really break down. I think there's probably some people in the space who maybe didn't fully click for them what you just said there, Danny. (laughs) It's a pretty big deal. So Trevor, go for it. And then we can kick off this segment about issue 2000. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about why I think the 1 million ordinals goal worked so well. First of all, it was a goal that we no one had to even talk about. No one had to communicate it. We all just knew implicitly. It was like, yo, what it would be dope if we can hit a million ordinal inscriptions, right? And to some extent, a million ordinals is a vanity metric. It's a metric that is not guaranteed to correlate with the in value or improvement in the protocol. But there are aspects of it which make sense in terms of that the, for example, like inscriptions per day is a better metric than reaching a million inscriptions. We did see those numbers uh, go up over time. That that shows increase in demand, right, and a measurable improvement. And I also think there's like this idea where with one million ordinals, everyone who has an ordinal kind of there's the idea that the earlier is better, right? So it's like if you're in the 10K club, then wow, like getting to 1 million ordinals in in theory is going to make your bags more valuable. So I think that plays into it. And it's also that nobody has to really communicate it. It's simple. It's like a bit addicting because the number goes up every single block. And if we are to have a new goal, it needs to be, I think, equally as simple. And actually, I'm maybe part of the thing is I'm not sure exactly which of these traits it needs to have or how many of these traits in order to be like a good goal to focus on or something that, of course, I think improving the protocol, new version releases, having like a V2, this is another really good goal to talk about. Like we said, if we could have the collection standard or different updates titled as a V2 or what we saw between one and one million, that was that every time it'd go to 100K and then there'd be like a little bit of a lull and then it'd pick back up aggressively as we go towards 200K, so on and so forth. We will probably see the same thing with like 1 million, 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, 5 million, but that like period will be further drawn out. And so I think it's important, as Leonidas said, to have 
ideally like one big goal would be the ideal, but perhaps we have two or three goals in between, which is like having a V2 of ordinals, having a big release that is packaged in a way that everyone can understand it. Seeing stamps go up from, I believe it's like close to 20K to hitting 100K soon would be something to celebrate. I'm curious to hear from anybody, any types of goals or ways to think about what we should get everybody excited about and looking forward to. And ideally it is an actionable metric, but the thing is, like there's no going back from a million ordinals, right? The inscriptions per day, it's going to go up we hit 70K. It's going to go down. We'll hit another all-time high later. We won't be able to predict it. There's not really a sense of measuring progress in that regard. Counting, if we could count the unique number of wallets that have at least one inscription, that would also be a, a good goal. And like tracking the progress of that growth. I think that would be a better actual metric than even the number of inscriptions is just how many unique wallets have an inscription or have inscribed because that's more tangible growth than Ornals. But would love to hear other ideas. And I know we're going to switch the topic to talk about the collection standard and the issue 2000, I think it's called. I think monthly active users is a great standard that pretty much every startup uses. And there's no reason why like that metric wouldn't capture pretty well the activity on Ordinals either. I think ultimately one of the critiques I've heard is that, oh, it's just one person inscribing 50,000 inscriptions. There's not actually that many people. It's all just these guys like wash trading and trading back and forth. And this is not at all the <laughs> what I'm seeing happen on the ground floor here, but it doesn't stop people from thinking that. So if we can just get a Dune dashboard with, hey, this is how many people transacted today, transferred or received an ordinal or just any wallet basically that does anything with the Ordinals protocol and could get those numbers for day, week, and month. I think that's like a pretty awesome stat to have. And I think trying to go to 100,000 people a month, like that would be a really awesome metric to hit in my opinion. Like pretty, I don't know how many people necessarily are in Ordinals to be totally honest. I would say I see a ton of people on Twitter, but I'm also just in the filter bubble. So I would love to know these stats and I think that would be pretty helpful. Yeah, Trevor. Yeah, no, I think we need, of course, we need the actual metrics of monthly active users. That's, of course, if you're a startup, that's what you use. But I think we also need some aggregate metric as well that is within striking distance. It's if you're training for a marathon, you do try to run X amount of miles every single day, but then you celebrate when you've hit 1,000 miles. You celebrate when you've hit 2,000 miles, et cetera. It'd be super cool. And yeah, part of the challenge is that like the majority of inscriptions are, I think are done through Ordinal's Bot and Gamma and these different mint and these different inscription services. So that will show up as one wallet. And that's a little bit harder to measure, but I think we could measure, of course, market volume. I mean, hitting, but market volume is going to be less actionable for every single person because we need great projects. We need great creators. We need great leaders coming in and that will definitely come in waves. There won't be daily progress on that like there was on the inscription number but something like total users who have had at least one inscription that is going to be i think more achievable for every single person anybody can call up their friend and be like hey let me send you free ordinal but just try it out like play with it that's how i'm thinking about it i'm still looking for other ideas i'll just throw out another one streaks on snapchat like streaks are a kind of fun thing again not saying it's as intuitive as some of these things but if we could hit, I don't know, 10 days in a row and then 12, 13, and people are counting the number of streaks of maybe how much volume in the marketplace is or how many inscriptions or how many transfers. These are just other fun kind of things to track that 
basically say, hey, not only is it that we have one hype day or one hype week, but like for three months now, we've been hitting this amount of inscriptions every day. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, very ordinarily. Welcome up. Thank you. Yeah, metrics. So one thing I've been thinking about and working on is looking at number of actual on-chain transfers of ordinals. I think that addresses the issue of people just inscribing and then having them sit dormant somewhere. If we actually count how many on-chain transfers you have on a day, in a week, in a month, I think that's a very interesting metric that I've been looking at. Completely agree. And it definitely captures the... Yeah, it's interesting. Do you count on that metric, people receiving airdrops, or does it have to be Yeah, I'm just counting. So my indexer for this is not fully finished yet, but I'm just counting like any movement of an ordinal that carries an inscription. An airdrop, like if you inscribe right to a user's wallet, it wouldn't count it, but if there's any movement of an inscription on chain, then it would be counted, yes. And I'll publish that as soon as I have a baseline, because previously I think it's really good to have... I think we'll need a set of metrics to look at activity. And I think just looking at how many inscriptions we have is not, that can't be the only metric. I think you need to look at activity metrics. And once I have a baseline for a number of transfers, I think it, it will be interesting to see. What I'm seeing is that, it, that the pace has definitely picked up over time. So then we can define a, a goal to hit. Totally agree. I am addicted to these Dune dashboards. If there's any way we can just basically make this information publicly accessible. I don't even think you don't need people like me or Trevor or something tweeting about it. It's like people just naturally love browsing these dashboards. And what, like I check 10 websites every day when I wake up and one of them is the Dune dashboards. I think we can definitely rally behind these metrics as long as we're able to present them in like ways that are just easily accessible to people. And everybody knows the Dune dashboard setup is very helpful. Post. So I thought I'd share like one of the things that's on my to-do list that maybe it's, if there are developers in the room, maybe it's a little bit of developer alpha for something you can tackle. We know you can make very strong assumptions about what a PSVT looks like, right? Like when an ordinal is traded, you know what those transactions look like. And so we can... From, from the on-chain data, without reliance on any marketplace giving us the data or any wallet giving us the data or anything like that, we can just look directly at the chain and say, okay, a transaction transferred, like the way Ordinary is indexing them now, and then say, and when it transferred in this transaction that was a PSVT, and from that I can analyze the exact price that it was sold for, all these things. So we can get very authentic, very provable, very reliable data on the activity of the market. Bitcoin is like pretty good at privacy and it probably will get better at privacy over time. But for this particular market, I think it's actually pretty simple to get that kind of data. It's one of those things like I intend to work on at some point, but I haven't quite gotten around to it. But I think that we definitely will have very high detail views of exactly what each collection is going for, the total sort of aggregate value of the market, all those things. Awesome. This moves us to a segment here. This is a little bit of a heavier segment, guys. I want everybody to be open-minded here. I'm personally, I'm open to changing my mind on this one. I'm just going to read the title here. And then we have Ordinally and Danny and a few other people on stage who I'm sure want to chime in here and have opinions on this. But this is probably the largest topic, most important topic going on in the Ordinals ecosystem right now. And this Ord... Issue 2000 on GitHub is called Indexer ignores inscriptions that are not on first input of transaction. 
but otherwise valid, causing missing inscription numbers. So the very, very short summary of this, and I'm sure Danny and very ordinarily can dig into it more, is that there were, based on how we think of the ordinals protocol, there were valid transactions where there were multiple inscriptions in a single transaction. Basically, to my understanding, were only the indexer was only counting the first one. And what this does is it basically means that if we were to go back in time and make these valid transactions be counted by the indexer, this would shift the inscription numbers. So I think it would shift it by roughly a thousand very ordinarily. You can correct me there. But basically, TLDR is because there's so many people that care so much about the inscription numbers. If you had, for example, inscription number 100,000, if were to handle this problem, there's actually several potential solutions to this problem. But if we were to handle it in like one of the more obvious ways, which would be retroactively change the inscription numbers and correct the indexer and moving forward, make sure that bug is fixed. This would shift inscription numbers, which is definitely like not an ideal situation at all. So maybe I can jump in and just for clarification. So this issue is not about multiple inscriptions in one transaction, although we would have the same issue there. But this is just about, so when Ralph and I were working on the implementation of collections, this parent-child scheme, we discovered what we thought was a bug in the org client where it would assume, it would make the simplifying assumption that an inscription is always on the first input into a transaction, which was true for all the inscriptions that the org client made up to our implementation of the parent-child inscription scheme. The way that our parent child inscription scheme works is that you have the parent always as part of the transaction, in our case, the first input. So now suddenly the actual inscription moves to the second input of a transaction. To launch the kind of Casey scheme for collections and provenance, we will have to make at some point a change that we also recognize inscriptions that, that are not made on the first input. So this needs to happen at some point anyway. And now there's a number of interesting questions here, right? This is in the this is in the end about how do we achieve consensus on what is an inscription, how are inscriptions numbered. And since I filed this bug, I think I've come to the point where I think we shouldn't change existing inscription numbers because that's really has become part of the de facto consensus. But I also think we shouldn't arbitrarily skip valid inscriptions on chain. So if you go to the GitHub discussion, there's a few interesting ideas of coming up with either having these inscriptions show in the Explorer but not get assigned a number or assign negative numbers or I made the tongue-in-cheek proposal to give them imaginary numbers. There's, there's many ways you could number these inscriptions and make them visible. But I think there's two different aspects that I think we should discuss separately. One is, should we ignore valid inscriptions that are on the blockchain? I think no. And the second question is, should we try to number them sequentially, which would mean that everything, I think the first inscription that has that is not on the first input is in 420,000 around that. If you decide to shift numbers, then we would have every number after 420,000 would, would shift, and we would be about 1,200 inscriptions higher right now than we are. It happened at inscription 420,000. So it would be a massive kind of change of numbers, and that's why I think we shouldn't do it. But ultimately, this is a decentralized protocol, and as a community, we need to find a way to come to consensus on how to 
approach changes like this. Gotcha. But you're saying that nobody did this like kind of unique transaction way before 420,000? That is what, yeah, I've run this multiple times. I haven't seen any inscription that wasn't on the first input before. I have the exact number. It's 420 and something thousand. Wow, that's interesting. So it's just interesting to me that we went like the first month and a half and didn't have a single transaction like this. Clearly, somebody was probably like developing, like trying to innovate and experiment. And it looks like maybe broke the indexer slightly here about maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, very interesting post I am curious your thoughts on this. We're going to get around to everybody, Cypher, Trevor, Danny. We're definitely going to stay on this topic as long as we need to. Yeah, I think that there's a little bit of over-exaggeration of the issue that goes on in some of the public conversation space that I've seen. He was saying inscription numbers less than some number where it started to occur aren't going to shift at all. And since if the market is waiting value on these low inscription numbers let's just call it half a million right like up under half a million doesn't change so like the actual market impact isn't that real at all i think it's pretty hilarious that it started at four hundred and twenty thousand. i think that's the god speaking to us right the applications that are being developed the things that are being experienced that take advantage of the ability to do things like this are extremely powerful extremely flexible applications that have a lot of value in them and should not be, I don't know, like for me personally, the fact that the guy that has inscription number 500,000 is going to wind up having inscription number 500,236. I just think the market impact of that is minuscule in comparison to leaving the chips on the table for the applications that this allows. So I think it's like fairly important and also like just it's sensible, right? Like the, if you look at the actual way that an inscription is made, the witness data is on the input side of the transaction. So the input should be the thing that is performing the action, not the transaction. And there's a lot of stuff like if you want batched inscriptions, right? You want to be able to consolidate, you want to be able to optimize the cost of doing large sets of inscriptions, then you want to be able to batch them. You can't batch them if you don't correct the indexer to account for this. So do you think that the total market cap, do you think the value of inscription number 500,000 going to inscription number 500,232 is, do you think that's whatever material harm you might cause in doing that, do you think that's worth saying we're never going to tolerate batched inscriptions or we're never going to intolerate doing mint via PSBTs where you can do public mints for content that has not been inscribed until it's minted. All of these are applications that require this feature. And yeah, so I, I think from a technical perspective, it just makes sense to fix it. Like it probably should have been that way from the get. And then from a market perspective, I don't know. Like I just, I very much struggle to be empathetic towards people that are concerned about this because the inscription number itself is also, it's a weird dream anyway, right? There's a number in which every NFT ever was released. There is an NFT number zero and an NFT number one and an NFT number 420 and an NFT number 500,000. But nobody talks about that because there wasn't a website that said, hey, here's what that number is, right? It's a, it's a little silly. I think that people blow it way out of proportion when they talk about it. I don't think that the real market impacts are going to be all that great at all to shift the numbers of some. And we're not talking about like traumatic, huge shifts. We're talking about shifts that account for numbers that should have already existed and that were really only populated by people who are experimenting with applications that are going to dramatically improve the feature set of, of everything. Your bags are going to be lifted by people playing with this technology. So it just doesn't make sense to me 
So you're talking about it, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, but you're talking about it in almost the either or type of sense in that you're almost saying in order to do all of these more complex transactions and basically like beneficial upgrades, like we have to do this. But basically, I believe there's a kind of one potential solution is to not reorder and then at a certain block height, start doing it the correct way. And then going forward, we'd still get to do all the cool things you're talking about. Yeah, it's software. You can do whatever you want, right? Like You can set whatever rules you want because it's software. It's magic like that. I personally think that having a homogenous set of rules from Genesis makes more sense. I think that the idea that the indexer assumes that the first input was the inscribing input was a mistake from the beginning. I think that if you look at the protocol, it makes complete sense that the input would be the inscribing action and that there's no reason why you should assume that the transaction is the inscribing action. I don't think that the people who were experimenting with this stuff should be punished by having their efforts. Like a lot of, okay, a lot of the inscriptions in the first 10,000 were us experimenting with stuff, right? And it's great that the market finds those experiments so valuable because it means that us playing around with things and seeing what could be done paid off, right? So why should the guys that were experimenting and adding new feature sets, they're going to improve the whole of the market. Why should they be punished and told, oh, we're very glad that you developed these features, but no, we can't have the guy who owns inscription number 500,000, his, we can't afford for his inscription to only 10 X instead of 20 X. In that example, who are you referring to of being early? I don't know. The hypothetical guy that owns 500,000 is, I'm sorry, the other person in your hypothetical, who's the other group of people you're referring to? The people that are experimenting with doing via PSBT and batch inscriptions and all these other things that are what account for, you, you just said it yourself, right? You're like, it's people experimenting with stuff. Yes, it is. It is people experimenting with stuff. And the stuff that they're experimenting with stuff, with are applications that are going to dramatically improve the space. Why should they be punished and told like, oh, your experiments don't matter. You explain how, like, what solution is it that would punish them? I'm just, I'm actually just trying to like basically understand saying that you don't recognize their inscriptions up to a certain block height would punish them. It would mean that their experimental efforts never actually took place. They're, yeah. they're not acting. So I don't think, think from the solutions I've heard that any of the solutions are to basically never going forward, allow that to happen. I think the idea is, but you're saying we should ignore them up to a block height, which would ignore the people who have already been working on these applications. So you're, you're saying that I value, okay, first off, we're not going to shift any given inscription number by all that much. Right. And the more it gets shifted, the higher number it is. Like inscription number 1 million is going to get shifted by more than inscription number 500,000 is, right? 500,000 might get shifted by 200 points or something like that. 1 million is probably going to get shifted by 1,000 points or something like that. So what you're saying is that... It, the guy who owns inscription number 500,000, his quote unquote losses of becoming inscription number 500,223 are too great for us to say that we should act these experiments done by people that are building more powerful applications in the space. And I'm sorry, that doesn't make any fucking sense to me, like at all. The people who are doing the experiments deserve to have their work act. We should acknowledge that's the way the protocol should have been from the beginning. And the guy that owns inscription number 500,000 that becomes 500,223, it doesn't really even matter. His bags are still going to go up because the application space is going to grow and the protocols are going to get better. Gotcha. So what you're saying is 
basically the thousand, because there's roughly, I think my understanding is a thousand of these inscriptions. And I'm just, I'm trying to track with you here. The thousand inscriptions that aren't included right now that should be valid. You're saying that those were made by people doing these experiments. Am I connecting the dots? The only way you possibly could have made them was by developing software that leveraged more interesting techniques. Gotcha. You would have never made them if you weren't doing yeah, it. Yeah, gotcha. So I would tend to say, and like I'm genuinely pretty open-minded here, I can see really good merits to both these sides. None of this is like super ideal. It would have been nice if this bug just didn't exist. But ultimately, the question is, you're comparing the inscription number shifting for these like special inscription numbers versus these these thousand or so inscriptions that basically are just sent to zero instantly. My thought is basically, I'm thinking bigger. So I can see the argument on both sides on a, maybe a bigger picture of what does it do to the, are there any weird underlying complications or just weird things that occur yeah. from doing this or not doing this like down the road? around thinking about consensus where can we just change the index yeah i don't know i just I, yeah go ahead i have no empathy for the argument that oh no inscription 500,000 is going to become inscription number 500,223 i'm sorry that's like a nonsense we're concerned okay bear in mind that if inscription 500,000 becomes inscription 500,223 then inscription number 499,777 or whatever the fuck it is still is in the first 500,000. And the fact that people care about being in the first 500,000 or the first million is weird anyway. It's like this nonsense. It's, to be honest with you, Casey just shouldn't have included inscription number on the website. And then we would never have this conversation and we would be able to change things as we needed. Because again, NFTs have a number. There are There is a number, there's an order in which all NFTs, every NFT on Ethereum has a number in which it was released, but nobody gives a shit about that number because there isn't a website that shows it. So we're, yes, I agree with you that ideally the bug would have never existed. Perhaps it also would have been nice if Casey had not put the inscription number on the website because it wouldn't get us an But <laughs> Bro, have, if he didn't put the inscription number on the website, nobody would give a fuck about ordinals, bro. <laughs> so that let's be, be real, man. Like, that might let's be, be real. I don't think, I don't, I'm inclined to disagree with that. I think that there's plenty of other application space for it. But the point, I guess, there is... We have what we have and we need to be like, like as rational as we can. And I think that what's happening right now, like the way that I see the conversation unpacking is basically there's one guy that owns inscription number 500,000 who really cares about this issue. For real birds about posters, it's a metaphor. There's some guy that owns inscription number 500,000. So it's in somebody's Dude, whoever owns Piggy is bummed out right now. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I'm sorry about your luck, dude. I don't know. We, gotta, we need to. Push I will push I mean, back. I'll push back on the inscription number thing just slightly here, Post, and then we can move on from that. But I've seen there's a difference between creating a smart contract on Ethereum that has like a trillion inscription, a trillion NFTs tokens in it, versus the super rare contract on Ethereum, which I would say is much more similar to the ordinal inscription market, which is just a bunch of one of ones. And I do know, like those collectors, again, it's only in the smart contract those numbers. It's actually not surfaced on the super rare website but the first numbers of those like first thousand or i think there's like four thousand nfts on that smart contract between 2018 and 2019 and people do very much care in the super rare community about the first the second etc and it i think it's just basic like it, i get that it's silly but like the reality is for whatever reason human psychology does value this stuff and i don't think it's just completely arbitrary i do think it has to do with the way there's this sequential order of a one of one protocol similar to super rare. So just, I'm just giving a little market precedent there to say that it's not. Yeah, I, I get that. So I, let me try and frame it a different way. 
Okay, so is it fair to say that the points at which inscription matter number are greater than and less than marks on large intervals, right? So it's like 10,000 and then 25,000 and then 50,000 and then 100,000 and then a quarter million and then half a million and then a million, right? Like those are like the benchmarks. Like the difference, is there like a really meaningful difference? Do you perceive the market as giving a shit about the difference between inscription number... I'm going to use lower numbers just so I don't have to say a bunch of things. But between inscription number 49,350 and 49,470, does the market really care about that? Or is it just. I don't think the market cares actually at all really about that. I think the the difference. So the only. If if the market doesn't care about that. So the difference is I really think it's just a psychological shift. Like I see all these people putting the inscription number that they hold in their bio and they associate with it. And for better or for worse, this is what people are right. doing. And it's more just, hey, we have to basically tell yeah, all these I'm people trying to that address they're... that psychology. That's what I'm saying is I think the, the psychology is whack. And let's try and address it. The people that are being affected are not everybody that is over 420,000 or wherever it started happening, right? The guy, the person being affected is the guy with inscription number 500,000. Everyone, like barely anyone else is being touched by this. I kind because of think he's the only one. I think people do know inscription numbers on the assets they collected, and even though it's not valuable because of that inscription number, they've linked to it in their bios. They've shared links to that inscription number. They do know their numbers. Like talk to collectors; they really do. They'll tell you, like I know, I own seven hundred thousand three hundred and seventy-eight or whatever. This is a thing. Again, not saying it's rational or something. I'm just saying this is how the human psychology works. And for better or for worse, this is the spot that the Ordinal's ecosystem is where people do know these numbers. They I, yeah, to be clear, I don't disagree with you that we're in that spot. I think the spot is dumb because people aren't thinking about the actual implications here. I think people are thinking about, oh no, this inscription number is going to change by 14 numbers. Can you yeah. give the implications beyond the 1,000 affected inscriptions that aren't included now that would theoretically be included potentially after a certain block height? So if you did it where it was active for a certain block height, we could still build the applications, right? Like the application would be done. But what I'm saying is you're punishing the people who built those applications disproportionately so that you can save some kid from having not tweeted the wrong inscription number two months ago or something. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Do you have um, long-term implications, I, I, though? I agree. Like, ultimately, either way it goes. Are there long-term term? implications of being able to do batch inscriptions and mint via PSPT? Is that, well, like, a serious so question? Just pause for a second. I don't think there's any scenario where we're thinking about a solution that long-term you wouldn't be able to do that, right? Like, why would you not be able to do that long-term? No, okay. So there, there are no long-term consequences on either side of the decision in that case, which is why nobody should really care at the end of the day. What I'm saying is that preserving the inscription numbers is asymmetrically damaging to the people who do the experimenting that create the applications that better the ecosystem. Why would you favor a inconsequential market impact of a reordering? Like, Why would you deny an inconsequential reordering of inscription numbers so that you can protect some kid's sensitivity of the seven digits in his inscription number over acknowledging the work done by people that are battering the ecosystem and the protocol. Like what you're saying is, oh no, it's going to harm some people's interpretation. Okay, why why are we voting to harm the guys that are building and making shit better? Because you're gonna harm one, right? Yeah, it's you basically gotta, picking pick the one. hopefully picking the least harmful option. And you're making a case for what you believe to be the least harmful option. And I think there's very good merits to that case. 
I actually, I genuinely do think either one of these options in a month, we're going to be fine. I'm actually more interested in, and I think we can talk about this. There's like a weird precedent we're going to set here, like going forward about, okay, we are going to say the consensus layer is not necessarily on chain, but in this indexer. And if we're actually believing this is going to be potentially like in 10 or 20 years, trillions of dollars of value could theoretically in the very bull case be stored on this. There's weird long-term implications to the decision made here. And I'm just curious, like if anybody has thought through that. So maybe just keep that in the back, back of your minds here when we're going through and talking with the hands. Post, I really appreciate you. I'm going to say this and I'm going to shut up and let other people talk. If we were talking about adding some thing that like conceptually did not exist, then I would totally be with you that like, no, you shouldn't act it before this block height and you should add it as like a feature after this block height. But we aren't talking about something that conceptually didn't exist. We're really honestly talking about something that should have been the way it was out of the box from day one. Anyone who read the spec would have assumed that it worked this way. I agree. 100%. I agree. And that, that's definitely why we're having the conversation. I think Nelly would probably acknowledge that basically this would be thought of as like a regression or a bug of some sort. We're going to go with Cypher, Trevor, Adam, Danny, ZK. Yeah. So I think you touched on where I was going to go with this. It's the individual problem here is not complex. It's a minor shift in index numbers. I think instead of focusing on this one rather inconsequential breakage that can be fixed in a way that either we can index from zero with the set of rules or we have a block height where we change the rules. I, I lean in favor of the first one for obvious reasons, chain first and all that. But it's largely irrelevant because the question is not how do we solve this problem today? It's how do we as a community handle problems that arise in the future? So let's imagine right now we're talking, what, uh, 1,000, 1,200 inscriptions at a high enough count that they're less than 0.25% of a change in numbers, even if you apply them on the very first one in full. That's not that big of a deal. But now let's imagine that instead it was 1,500 and they started at index zero. This would impact people who believe that their value comes from the number of their inscription much more because now it's, I mean, at a description 1500, it's 100% increase, right? Instead of trying to solve this one problem, we need to be looking at how do we solve future problems, whether that's, I believe we use 64 digit or 64 bit numbers for these, in, these currently. Why don't we allocate the top eight bits as flags for events like this? Now we can assign these unique numbers that not, that don't influence or ruin the old one are indexable from zero because we just add a flag that checks for these odd cases if they occur before said block height, assign them this special flag. This shows it provides unique value to the people who are experimenting because now they get a really unique asset that literally says, hey, this asset was made when something was broken. And that flag is way more valuable in my mind. And it solves future problems at the same time where now let's imagine we have a big breakage where our indexers are all collectively off 100,000. No big deal. We flip that next flag, set a block height where before that block height, they get that flag if they've met the conditions that we set. And we move on with life. It avoids pretty much every problem I could imagine. And it would show that we as a community, I'm not just this one solution. This is just a wild harebrained idea on my part 
But if we can come up with a solution like this, it would show that the community has evolved beyond numbers go burr to actually trying to build a long-term sustainable ecosystem. Yeah, you're bringing up really good points. I think these are the, we just need to have these conversations and talk about these solutions because, yeah, these are clever things. And I think we need to think through and flush out every possible scenario here. Trevor. Yeah, listen, I'm all for encouraging experimenters, but realistically, 420,000, that's affecting close to 600,000 people's numbers for a few people who, yeah, I appreciate their experimentation and all, but like, the rules were set up a certain way and the rules are the kind of the rules, you know what I'm saying? My question to post would be, how is this any different from the DAO hack, right? Or the DAO fork on Ethereum where it's, you may not think it's a big deal, but that was how the code was set up and maybe it was a bug, maybe it was not, but so was the DAO hack, you know what I mean? So I was just curious, like, how well, post think thinks about that. Yeah, to be clear, I want to, hold on. <laughs> this is a fair evaluation that you're making and it's a good question. And I do want to point out like a very important difference. We've not reached a point where a community has made a vote. If the community at large were to decide that we should not change the inscription numbers and then Casey or somebody with access to the GitHub were to force a situation where it changed the inscription numbers, then I would say that it is equivalent to the DAO hack and it is a bad idea and we should not do it. We should do whatever whatever the people that are participating in the protocol, we should do what they want to do. Like we should determine the outcome in some sort of like, legitimate decentralized fashion and like we should all live with whatever that decision is whether we like it or not the where it would become similar to the DAO hack is if everyone large percentage of people were like we should not change the inscription numbers and then we did change the inscription numbers then it would become similar to the DAO hack and i would have a problem with it and i even though i think we should change the inscription numbers i would still say we went about it the wrong way the point that i'm making now is imagine it before Ethereum reverted, made the arbitrary state change, right? And we're like having the discussions and we're trying to suss out like what the sensible course is. I'm saying that right now, the sensible course is to act the inscriptions that according to the document and spec should have been act, right? Yeah, th- these are interesting points. I think like ultimately the more I'm thinking about this during this conversation, it boils down to like where your source of truth is. Are we going to say that basically the blockchain order based on this assumed the way the numbering should work in our heads is the source of truth always and forever? Or are we saying that we're going to basically almost have this layer on top of Bitcoin that we can do whatever the hell we want to with? Like theoretically, if we can choose a block hide and change this, and these are the kinds of things where what's to say we couldn't do something more extreme in the future if we wanted to, again, for better or for worse. So these are the questions that I think are really the bigger picture questions here that do have potential implications in the future. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, man. The uh, We've actually, believe it or not, Bitcoin stamps already went through this as some stamps weren't counted in the software they were using to grab the stamps. And my recommendation here with this is you just do it as quickly as possible. Rip the Band-Aid off. And I think most of us would agree, hey, is it an ordinal? Then it should be counted. If it's not an ordinal or it's outside the system, okay, then it's not counted. But if it is an ordinal, let's count it. Because as collectors, no matter the number, we all agree that we would want ours counted. And I think we can all agree on that, whether these were slightly outside of the system or whatever. But if they are today looked at as ordinals, they should be counted. And yeah, it's going to mess up some people, but 
that's the way it works. My thing is do it as quickly as possible because the longer we delay, the more pain. Like, honestly, this should have happened like the day it was discovered, but I get that it, you guys are working as a kind of decentralized group, but as quickly as possible would be my recommendation. Appreciate that. I do agree. This is not something we want to go on for several months or something. I think we talk about it as much as possible over the next week and then just basically try to nail something down, execute. Danny. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, we need to figure out how we take action, right? We want to take action, but how do we do it? One thing we agree on, though, is that at some block height, we should be indexing these, all of them, right? We should include them. So we all agree on that, right? What we don't agree on is before some block height, what do we do? Perhaps we should write out kind of some steps. Like maybe we, we first pick some block height. We really want to move forward with those. And then it's also how do we settle the thing before that block height? And in, is there some sort of voting? Or we have lots of chefs in the kitchen. How do we even organize? So maybe that's something worth discussing. Yeah, Danny, do you have ideas around that? Right now, it's very, again, very decentralized. We have, ultimately, you could make a change to the GitHub right now. And if D. Walker, who is on here from Hero, doesn't update their indexer and their API and marketplaces don't up their, update their indexers, it doesn't really make any change. So ultimately, there's lots of groups that kind of need to have buy-in here. And ultimately, collectors can revolt if they want to. If Let's say all the marketplaces and the kind of org team came together and agreed on something, but that wasn't what collectors wanted. Literally, the collectors, they can vote with their pocket, right? Like they can say, hey, fuck all of you guys. I'm going to go. There's this one exchange that's like not doing this crap, and I'm going to go use that now. And then that like... So all of these parties in a decentralized system have a voice and they all do need to be considered. So it's like, how do you come to consensus? And do you create some sort of council that doesn't actually have power, but just facilitates the conversations? Do you have a, ultimately, the conversation right now is like Twitter, spaces like this. And then we need a lot more conversation on, I pinned the very ordinary tweet above, but go to the GitHub and give your, Share your thoughts, like literally whatever they may be, however you are thinking about this, share your thoughts on the GitHub to just make your voice heard. What I don't want to hear is in a week, oh my gosh, why did you guys screw us? You got to share your voice. If you want to have an effect here, this isn't that big of an ecosystem. Like your voice will actually have an effect. So highly encourage just whatever you believe to get involved in the conversation. And ultimately, once we do come to a decision, and this is like by far the most important point here, it's the disagree and commit concept. If you didn't like how it happened, it really probably doesn't do a whole lot of good to have some sort of like weird fork or like just lots of bad blood and hatred. Like either way, like we will be fine. This is not, we're not talking about like a major thing here. It's just like, it's an issue, but it's not like <laughs> existential crisis. So we do need to disagree with each other now, but then commit to whatever kind of decision gets made. I think Cypher, you're next, and then Bugsy, then Post. So Adam brought up the concept of ripping it off like a Band-Aid. And I think that if you're dealing with a tech toy or with something that's still so early in its development life cycle, like we're early, but we're also a million inscriptions in at this point, right? I think that ripping off a Band-Aid would be, it would almost be a failure in my mind. Not in terms of the tech, we can do it. Software will let you rip all the band-aids you want off, but I think it'd be a failure of our ability to come to a community consensus that aligns with the original spec in a way that hurts or minimizes harm for everybody involved. 
Now, with that in mind, Danny brought up that, in the, or I believe you brought up, indexers can revolt and choose to leave inscriptions unindexed. This is totally a possibility. Anybody can index whatever they want, however they want. That's why I've said from day one that I think inscription numbers aren't as meaningful as many people do, but I understand that there are people who do. I would argue any indexer that chose to not index inscriptions in some way, like just leave them unindexed, is not an indexer. It's an opinionated view of the market, and that is perfectly fine, and they're welcome to have those opinions. I think let's real quickly address a couple of these things. The proposed solutions I've seen tossed out ad hoc in the community that have really negative repercussions that aren't discussed. I think Post was trying to touch on this, but often, in my opinion, sometimes Post has fully integrated the tech and no longer realizes that the rest of us don't know it yet because he's awesome. Now, the idea of let's set a block height and then splice these inscriptions back in with new index numbers, it sounds great until you realize that now I'm indexing the chain sequentially from block zero. I reach an inscription that will be valid in the future. I have to either store this in memory or in database or in some way until I reach the block height that this condition triggers at, and then I need to go back and look at all of these again. That's horribly inefficient. Or I ignore them, and I get to set the end, and then I have to go back through and index again at once I reach that block height up to it again to determine what I missed. None of these are good technological ways to handle this problem. We need a set of rules that conclusively can be applied from the Genesis block and results in an outcome that we're all happy with. I think there's a good solution. I think there's a very well thought out technical solution that can be reached. People like Ornali and Post are wizards. I'll probably throw my hat and opinions in the ring here and a little bit on the issue on GitHub. But if we just rip the Band-Aid off and either say, ah, they're all inscribed and we're we're just going to go forward, that seems like ripping the Band-Aid one direction. And if we say, ah, we're going to just wait and either shove them in later or not index them, that's just ripping the other side of the Band-Aid. Let's try to find a better solution as a community. I know we can do it. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm not as not quite as optimistic that you as you that we can find a solution that everybody will be happy with. I genuinely think there will be some party or some group that just feels like their voice was not heard no matter what happens here. And that is just going to be something we'll have to live with. But I'm all for just shooting ideas back and forth and trying to get to as optimal and close to a good solution as we possibly can. Sure. To clarify, when I say find a solution, I don't mean that we'll make it painless for everyone. I mean that we'll have a solution that if we run into a similar problem again in the future, we'll have a very strict policy of how we can handle it, get through it quickly, and not have to do this every time where we're like, Do we rip off the left side or the right side first? Every time you come to an impasse like this, instead it's, oh yeah, here's just what we do. This is the process. This is the standard. And we can iterate quickly that way and avoid repeating this five months from now, a day from now. Who knows how quickly it could reappear in some other form. Yeah, it's tough because people do really like their numbers no matter what Post says. And obviously people have paid a lot of money for their numbers, right? Leo, you know firsthand how much it costs for some of these low ones. And having everyone past 420000 be shifted 
may definitely have some impacts over time, right? Again, like Magic Eden would have to basically redo everything. They'd have to re-index or whatnot. People would be very confused and it might set back this ecosystem a little bit. Obviously, I don't have the answer either, but I just wanted to go on the opposite side of post. And I think just people really need to realize that numbers do matter to a lot of people and people have paid a lot of money for those numbers. And even like the piggy on the 1 million, right? That was a huge event. People were on spaces talking about that. And now it won't be piggy. And we're just going to have to almost quote unquote rewrite history in that sense, right? And so I think we should just be very cautious and it is very political and maybe not make a really knee-jerking reaction decision. Obviously, GitHub's great and there's lots of discussion there. So I encourage people to talk over there. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you. You're uh, just bringing up some good points there. I think these are just all things that we have to consider. Like we need a giant pros and a giant cons chart for every solution. And you just added some good content there. So thank you. Post, would you would like to add something to that or just say something else in general? Just, uh, just yeah. sorry, just a finality. Is there a way to do it? Maybe say we have a block in the future and say from that point on, we could start obviously the ones that have already been created may not be added, but maybe for future, we can fix this problem without shifting numbers. That might, is that something that's the two main solutions? It's fix everything for all of time or at a certain block height, do the correct indexing and then just have this weird period of time between 420,000 and whatever that number ends up being where there's like just this weird shifting of numbers. And it'll, it would be like this kind of weird thing where like in the future, people wouldn't necessarily know what would happen but people would be like, oh, yeah, there's some weird kind of backstory behind this. And actually, there's this weird thing where these numbers are actually off a little bit by what they should be. But we all agreed on it. Yeah, I definitely do think we do need to, at some sort, certain clock height, fix it going forward. These are obviously useful tools to have in our tool chest. I vote for block 785 uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Bugsy. Post, do you want to reply to that or just share anything else in general? I wanted to, I don't know, like maybe try and wrap a decent amount of the conversation that happened there. To be clear, I don't think that anything anyone said is like wrong or out of line or anything like that. And I also think that in the romantic ideal scenario, we would account for the concerns of as many people as possible. The old, the decision that gets made here, like we were discussing earlier, the decision that gets made here would like represent like the net concerns of the community and whatever that decision is i think that supporting that would be good but we also we should be aware of the pragmatic realities right you can armchair warrior your way to many opinions but if there are not contributions being made to the repository that is github.com slash kc slash org then basically so let's create a hypothetical right Let's say that 90% of people that participate in the ordinals market want to preserve the block numbers, but 100% of people that are submitting PRs to the ordinals repo all submit PRs that would re-index from zero and correct the inscription numbers. We have a fairly serious problem on our hands now where basically the market is asking a contributor to the ordinals repo to become a slave and write code that they do not want to write. So if you feel like really strongly compelled that we should serve the inscription numbers, then either you need to create a PR or you need to finance the creation of a PR to upgrade the protocol to handle this change in a block height. 
And even if it were a, it, like today, it's not a programmatic DAO, right? There is no programmatic DAO. It's just, it's people who manage a GitHub that are being respectful of the open nature of the protocol. And they've been very respectful of the open nature of the protocol thus far. I don't see any reason why we should expect that they would not be, but it is a little bit insane to sit there and think, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. I, I can't actually change this in any way, but I own inscription number 500,000 and I'll be really upset if it becomes inscription number 500,001. So I don't want it to be this way. Conglomerate, like form some kind of organization and fund the contribution of code to get done what you want to have done. You know what I mean? If anything, this is an interesting moment to explore like how decentralized organizations work and how things should be done. But the way they absolutely do not work and the way they absolutely will not be done is a bunch of people who cannot facilitate either by themselves or by proxy a contribution to the protocol mandating that somebody who does contribute to the protocol making their contributions in some particular way that's never going to work that's nobody can quite literally anything right it is just people different participants casey can we should be very clear here casey can mandate changes the protocol because he owns the github he forked the github (laughs) it's a social consensus thing if casey tomorrow says hey we're gonna we're gonna flip the inscription numbers the number one million is now number zero and number one is now number one million and everybody can get fucked. In about 10 seconds, we would get together and fork the repo. So I actually don't think there is... You wouldn't even have to fork the repo. You would just run a lower exactly. release version. Exactly. But if you think... Let's be realistic about this. Like, your whole thing is that... I'm not, I don't want to say your whole thing. The whole thing, right? The whole thing is that inscription numbers are published on the ordinals.com website and therefore are managing the market, right? Like they're moving the market. If you had not published the inscription numbers on the website, then this none of this conversation would ever fucking exist. So if ordinals.com, which by the way, is a service that is run from the code in the repo, which is github.com slash casey slash org. Actually, there should be client diversity. There, you should be forking the ord repo and you should be adding other features to it and you should be exploring with the other with other options because all these things that people like hang out and say hey we should have this we should have that we should have this it would be a lot easier right if somebody were to fork it and they were to add support for something in a custom explorer and then it was really obvious that a people enjoyed the feature ad and b the feature ad was like secure and didn't compromise anything then it would be like really easy to be like, oh yeah, we should totally just merge that back into main. That should just be part of how it goes. But my point is just that you need to differentiate between the sort of like romantic and the practical. And the romantic is let's field everybody's opinions and let's listen to everything. And I think we should do that. I think we should field everybody's opinions and we should listen to everything. But at the end of the day, if there is not a PR made to the repo to do it in the way that you think it should be done, then there's no real way to act on your opinion, right? Because I'm not going to write code for a change of the protocol that I don't agree with. I'm sorry. I'm just not. I don't care. I don't care if 95% of the population thinks it should be that way. I'm not going to be the one to write the code. Somebody needs to write that code. So if 90% of the population feels that way, throw a dollar in each and pay somebody 10 grand (laughs) to write the version of the code that you want. I don't know. Like you need to organize and actually facilitate your opinion in some meaningful way and not simply just hang out and like berate developers into doing it the way you think it should be done. Like if you're going to have an opinion, if you're going to an 
assert a strong opinion, then you should be willing to go like some mile towards actually manifesting that opinion in some meaningful way. Yeah, I slightly disagree with that, just in that I think there's going to be tens of thousands of people who would potentially have an opinion on this if they were tuned in enough to care about it. And I don't necessarily think they all have to put in massive effort. I think the takeaway from what you're saying is... No, they don't have to put in massive effort. They could all pull $1 each, and that would pay for a developer to do the code contribution that they want. But that what they should not do, and what should not be over-entertained, is a bunch of people who absolutely will not facilitate the contribution, all barking and screaming orders. I don't think of it as like screaming orders. I think of it as I have five minutes a day, and I'm going to log into Twitter and just send out a tweet with my opinion. And I do agree, if you want that opinion to actually carry more weight and for people to take it seriously, then you do need to get more involved than just like sending out one tweet. So I do agree, like you you frame it in a pretty hardcore way. And I do think you're correct in most of what you're saying. Yeah, sending out a tweet is not going to necessarily influence everything. But also, I don't think there's maybe you're saying that like the opinion isn't valid. And I do think it's still valid. I'm not. The opinion is valid. The opinion is valid. And we should want the romantic version, right? Like we, I absolutely think we should want the romantic version where we take everybody's opinion at heart. However, it is not reasonable or actionable to take everybody's opinion when the only people contributing to the code disagree with that opinion. Like the people who have that opinion have to act in some way. Like the, I something agree. has to be yeah. done. I, I think we're at the point where there's nobody event. wanting to write code necessarily. I literally think this is more the well, conversation. Trevor made the comparison to the ETH DAO and now my head's in the <laughs> spot where I see it. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, is right. kind of an interesting. Like it could very well go this way. It could very well go this way for sure. Very ordinary. I'm sure you probably have many thoughts from the last 45 minutes. Yeah, so may, I, I have a bit of a stack overflow, but really good discussion. I think a few points I wanted to make. I think, first of all, I think it's really important for us as a community to not go the kind of rip the bandaid off way because this is ultimately this may be a fairly small decision, but I think as a community, it's much better for us if we do this upgrade in a coordinated way where we don't have like half the explorers are showing different inscription numbers than the other half and everybody is doing it in his own way. I think going through this discussion and trying to find a way to make whatever change we make in some sort of consensus is something that is worthwhile. I also think this should not be something that drags on for months because it doesn't get better over time. I think we should have some focused time of discussion. I really encourage everyone to, to contribute like their opinion and their thoughts on the GitHub. I think that's a good place to have like a meaningful technical discussion on, on, on the various options. I really like the ideas that are that are already in the GitHub. And I think I just want to highlight that there is there's, there isn't just the two options that were in center in the discussion so far. We, there, there's many ways in between. We can index these inscriptions, but not assign numbers, for example, which would cause inscription numbers not to change. You would have a set of 1,200 kind of inscriptions versus orphans status that don't. <laughs> yeah, orphans that don't have a number. Why not? It's an option we can consider that may be a good compromise. But there's tons of other ideas out there. And I think it's really my thinking on this is like when we first discovered this thing, it was like, oh, OK, so that's a bug. Let's fix it. And we didn't really think about it very hard. But then the longer the review of the collections and provenance 
PR is taking. Now we have 600,000 inscriptions since we found the bug and the PR is still in review. It's taken quite a while. And, but I think it's important for us as a community to have this discussion and to learn also how to have these discussions in a way that, that moves us to consensus. Totally agree. Tons of excellent points there. I'll just give a very rough timeline of like in my head, what I'm imagining like would be ideal here. So we talk about this for a week and hopefully on the show next Monday, we're very close if have not found a solution that we believe we're going to execute on. Hopefully there's buy-in from Casey. And basically at that point, I think you have to set a block height about a week later and implement this. And then in two weeks from now, this would hopefully be behind us. And hopefully with enough that one week period, the indexers, the marketplaces would be able to work on making sure that they're going to have a seamless transition with hopefully very minimal downtime. I think Charlie and then Rock Toshi are next. Yeah, again, point people to the GitHub. That's where the conversation should take place. I'm tickled by the conversation we're having right now. I tend to agree more with the we have to change something and I want to do it on a slower timeline. That's my personal preference. But I can empathize with the other side here. I was an Ethereum miner for a long time, so I, I empathize with the Walter White back of the van, like screaming helplessly <laughs> feeling. And I just also want to reflect, I'm not aware of something equivalent to this in the world of NFTs over the past few years where we're discussing like very hot button issues about fundamental changes to a protocol. And I want to like say that I want to emphasize that this kind of conversation has been happening in Bitcoin since day one. And so when we talk about the extremist views and the strong personalities and the like irrevocable things that people have said and positions and flattened hills they've died on, this is just like a precursor to that. And we can look back and say, well, how do we think certain discussions were handled well? Like I, one of the narratives of Taproot, one of the kind of core mechanisms which we're using right now was that this change or soft fork in Bitcoin was not done under duress at the time. And so we were hot off the block size war. And that was the most contentious period in Bitcoin that I'm aware of. And then Taproot came along. We were like, let's take our time. Let's do this the right way. And let's demonstrate how we can make these changes so that we can set the stage for what could be contentious issues in the future so that we can at least set the building blocks in the right place. So I think this we this issue might be somewhat analogous. I don't think that the inscription numbers, I mean, I'm showing my cards here, I don't think the inscription numbers are as important as we think they are. Certainly they're very, they're meaningful, but I don't think they're as important. But I do think that we have the luxury of this space being super small and very personal right now, where we all know who each other are, and we have the ability to, at the end of the day, probably go grab a beer, not get into a fight, at conferences and so i want to encourage everyone to think from that perspective that we get the opportunity to set the stage in a well-meaning tasteful and graceful way completely agree probably the best comment i've heard on stage here because ultimately we will figure this out from a technical perspective the legacy will be the culture that got set and are we able to just have basically conversations with one another in such a way that both sides feel they can share their honest opinions and not feel like they're being judged or something. And I think we're doing a pretty darn good job right now. But again, shit hasn't hit the fan yet. This is the kind of thing where nobody's paying attention. Then all of a sudden, Casey tweets out, we're merging this to the GitHub and this block height. Everybody needs to be running. That's when people honestly start tuning in. We'll see how things go. But let's keep talking about this and trying to ideally, yes, the GitHub is the best place to have this conversation. 
Thank you, Charlie. I think Post was mentioning the just whole thing of having multiple indexers, so we're not all just on one indexer. My understanding is Luxor and Ordinals Hub are working on... Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We do need to be indexing in a homogenous fashion. Like right. having client diversity where it's in different like languages, like having a Go version, right, right, right. version is good, but you need to be indexing in a homogenous fashion. There are other features, there are application layer features that people can add by forking repo that I think they should explore. But no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to jump in. Gotcha. There. We do need to be indexing in a homogenous Gotcha. Appreciate gotcha. That. Appreciate that. Okay. Rock Toshi, go for it. Welcome to the stage, by the way. Hey, Leo. Yeah. Great job of managing some fairly contentious, disparate points of view. Leo, I think you've had some really objective takes on this, and that's, that's good to hear. I just want to say, while we have the opportunity to hear from Ordinally, we should. He's both busy and brilliant, and people should ask him questions, and I'd like to hear more of his takes. Just echoing what Charlie said, I think at the protocol level, rigor over speed is probably way to go if you have to choose. To me, that's what Bitcoin has done, and it's why it's so good. If you live in the application layer, like maybe it's tempting to move fast and break things. But if you're dealing with like long-run consequences for everyone that's using ordinals, it's a little bit different than a wallet or an exchange or something like that. Anyway... Literally nobody has more invested in the numbers meta than I do at this point, I think. I have 30% of the first 100 inscriptions, and I, like my collection is like sub-250. But I didn't do that to leverage low inscription numbers. I just wanted to experiment with a nascent technology and make art. I'm not trying to flood anyone who's long inscription numbers. That's great. I hope they will be historically and culturally significant. But I just want people to focus on doing cool stuff and collaborating and experimenting and making art and writing code not this like pvp or my inscription numbers higher than yours kind of thing so yeah that's it for me peace yeah Raktosh, you brought up a great point i think while we have very orderly we appreciate you taking the time i'm just gonna throw a question at you then i'd love for other people to ask questions as well so there is the concept of an inscription number that's associated to each inscription and then there's also an id and i guess most people are thinking of the unique id being the inscription number but really it's the unique id is that long string of characters would the long string of characters be affected by this in any way in any of these solutions or would that still be the unique id for all of these assets no the d's are the one thing that is guaranteed to be stable and they will not change and i think it's really important point you're making here that the ids these like really long strings and numbers ending with i0 it's what you want to be using as an index because they are stable and then they're meant to be used as an index. The inscription numbers were a little bit of a gimmick at the beginning. I think they have taken on a lot more significance than anyone expected. But what you really want to be using as an ID is this long ID number. Awesome. Anybody else up here? Like, Danny, you just ran through, I messaged with you last night, and you had just some interesting, like, four different potential solutions. Just, we've talked about some of them here, but... I don't know if you want to just share with what you share with me, which are just like the kind of four options that are somewhat on the table here. Is it maybe the four somewhat main options being talked about? Yeah. Sure. Happy to. First, I want to point out that this particular index issue is, I mean, oh, I agree with everyone about being rigorous, right? And the pro, at the protocol, it has to be, everything has to be rigorous. But this is a very simple change. So it's like the code and the testing, like that, that can all, and it, or rather has been ready. It's really just getting consensus around basically these four options that the you know, has just brought up. And also being very clear on what they are, I think. And this is where 
writing down in GitHub more clearly where it discusses better than here, because I think people have different ideas of what the options are. The first option is just to do nothing, right? So that's obvious. I think none of us want that. The second option is to basically accept all the valid inscriptions, right? So that'll be a shift in the numbering. The third option is to pick a block for the second and third. It's also pick, or the second one, there's no block height thing. The third one is to pick a block height where you include everything after that block height, but things in the former, you treat in a special way somehow. So more or less, those are, and I guess the fourth one would be trying to also include all inscriptions and try to meet maybe both of make everyone happy. But I think that's going to be pretty messy. And I think Post was making a point too, that it makes the whole protocol code also messier to try to handle that. So those are the high level of the options, but I think it's better to just write them out and everyone can read them. And then maybe help write vote on what people think should be the one. And then there will be basically pull requests for the solutions for each one. And then at some point we need to decide which one to accept and people can rally around and upgrade appropriately. Gotcha. How are you thinking as far as timeline and action items here? I want to make sure this show is a good place to gather and maybe help point people mentally on a good timeline for getting to a solution here. What would you like to see happen, Danny, in a perfect world? I think it's different for different issues. I think it's we want to have a way to make improvements and we all can agree on like how much time is needed for how big a change it is or how risky or a change in protocol is or upgrade. In this case, it's a simple change in the, in, in terms of the code is simple. It's just, we have to figure out how to, this is the first time we're kind of getting together to try to do this, right? Figure out the process of it. Yeah, it's great points. I think like ultimately, I'll just share my opinion. I think it probably comes down to the two solutions where Basically, we're not going to do nothing, right? This does need to be addressed. We do need to be able to index correctly going forward. So I think the solution is to basically pick a block height where we're going forward. We will definitely be indexing correctly. And then the question is, what do you do before that? And it's you either renumber the inscriptions such that we add these like 1,200 inscriptions in that got left out, or you leave the inscriptions numbers the same and then at that block height, you add 1,200 inscription numbers in. And because I do think it would be wrong to not, basically not give, we can't just leave out 1,200 inscriptions. That also doesn't feel like a very good answer. So these feel like the two that I think it would be between. Yeah, my inclination is the easy thing to do that like probably collectors are going to say would be to just do the changeover and not renumber the inscriptions before the changeover point. And probably the like purest kind of way that feels like the right way technically to do this is just to basically reorder the inscriptions between 420,000 and whatever this block height is and be done with it. Both, neither of these are terrible options. There will be small weird things that happen for either of them. I, because this decision isn't like life or death. I think it will ultimately be fine either way. But this is how I'm seeing it. I'll be completely honest. Like, if you forced me to vote on one right now, I would definitely be having trouble coming to a decision because I do think both of them are similar enough in my head that it's not a straightforward, easy decision necessarily. Yes, I for. 
Yeah, I, I think it's false dichotomy to say it has to be one or the other. I think we can gain the advantages of all of them. We can meet posts conditional of acknowledging the people who are experimenting and pushing the envelope as far as they can. Well, at the same time, we can completely eliminate any change to the existing numbering system. Like, I was able to draft a comment, put it in the issues thread that would provide such a solution just in the course of this conversation we're having. If I can do that, there are smarter people in this conversation. I've already called out two of them multiple times. And that's not even counting all the people listening that aren't on the stage. If I can do that, I know somebody has an even better solution that removes any edge cases that I could have imagined. I'm going to read your thing here real quick. Because I do, I'm fine to just hang out on the stage. This is probably one of the more important spaces that we've had on the Ordinal Show. So I'm just going to read this here. If people are getting bored, feel free to hop off. But yeah, I think this is something where it's just like talking more rather than less is probably the way to go. So I'm going to read this and then I want you to just summarize anything that I didn't capture here. The Optimal Solution by Cypher. No, that was not your title, but I'm, <laughs> that was how you started it. The Optimal Solution for this and future incidents is one that, one, minimizes the changing of existing inscription index numbers. Two, only employs logic that can be ran sequentially without unnecessary overhead. Three, acknowledges the experimentation by users who did things that should have been indexed but found edge cases. My proposal that addresses all these is the creation of a flag system. This can be implemented as a set of bit flags on the high order byte of the inscription number. As the new field flags UB, U16, U32, or some other arbitrary system, this is a technical decision and independent of the feasibility of this concept. This would enable us to assign the number that an inscription would have been with the flags set to distinguish it from the standard numbering system. This satisfies each of the conditions I presented above as I will demonstrate below. It not only minimizes the change of existing numbers, but fully eliminates any need to change them completely for this and future inc incidents. This logic can be implemented as a single check for the abnormal condition during indexing. This makes it preferable to block height based regressions. By exposing these flags, indexers can add badges, modals, etc., to indicate the event that led to these inscriptions being flagged. This makes it potentially educational as well. Cypher, do you want to add anything to that thought? Anybody on stage have thoughts on that? That seems to be more of the approach of don't renumber what we currently have, but going forward, use this to create a system that we can use more times because, you know, we could easily find ourselves in a similar situation at some point in the future, especially if we're continuing to make upgrades to the protocol. And you're basically saying preserve the existing inscription numbers, but then add them in, add the missing 1,200 in at a certain block height? Is that more or less what you're saying with this flagging system? Yeah, imagine it like when we're doing the indexing, we're basically just counting. We're like, ah, this is the first one I've seen. This is the second one I've seen. When we reach one of these that's either not indexed currently or in the future, maybe there was an issue with the envelope itself. I've raised some concerns about this recently. It doesn't become a problem because now we reach that we design a quick check for it. It goes, ah, this is one of these. We set that flag. That's similar to if you were filling out a government form, you check your little boxes. All it's doing is checking a box there that changes the number that the user would see. But behind the scenes, we would also still have the number that it would have been. So now we have sequential ordering still without undermining the original count and also the ability to identify what caused this one to be abnormal. 
Because if we just go forward with this is one abnormality, let's imagine this happens two, three times. It will not. I have faith or now he's a rock star, but let's imagine it does. Now we not only know when it happened because of the inscription number that we've retained, but we have a flag that tells you like what specific condition or event caused this to be malformed. Yeah, it's interesting because you're being proactive with it, with the flagging system, so that we can be better equipped in the future to handle it. Yeah, post. I think that complicating people's ability to interpret what's happening with the protocol is even worse than complicating the protocol. So I get where your head's at, Zypher, and I'm not, I don't even know that I would say, like, I'm against it, but... It re- like my first take on it would be that this makes it harder for people to consume information. Like you're on a website and you're looking at something and you're like, I don't know what the fuck that is. So I think complicating people's ability to interpret what's going on is even worse than complicating the actual protocol itself. So my very quick take from only having Leonidas read it, and that's really my only interpretation of it, would be that given between the two, I would probably vote to ignore the previous inscriptions over that. But I still don't think we should ignore the previous inscriptions. Interesting. Your point being, when you say people, you're not referring to the engineers creating indexers and it being more complicated. Humans, consumers. Yeah, yeah. you're referring to increasing the complexity, basically pointing to the 10K supply phenomenon of like profile picture projects. For whatever reason, people love simplicity of knowing there's 10,000 of that collection. And if there's 9,500... Just for whatever reason, the project we know we have data will not do as well because that extra little simplicity goes a long way. Is that basically the point you're making here? Yeah, I think that like when you go to some dashboard, you're on some website, you're on some Explorer, and you're looking at the data on these inscriptions, you want something that is like quick, easy, consumable, you know what it means, you can just read the speed read the page and move on. And the more stuff you have on that page that introduces questions, the more stuff that you have on that page that makes people go, wait a minute, what is this? Sometimes for certain products, getting people to ask those questions can be good, like Cypher hinted at the educational nature of it. And there are times where provoking people into asking those questions can actually result in more engagement with the product. I think that in this particular case, I would predict the outcome to be more just frustration, confusion, lack of understanding, that kind of thing. And so I think keeping it simple, keeping the heuristics, like when people are on the page and they're looking at the data, keeping the heuristics of that data simple is preferable. And so if the trade-off, I read this as it's a trade-off, right? Do we want to complicate the heuristics in the front end or do we want to complicate the protocol in the back end? And I think that the complication of the protocol in the back end is less severe and would be like more tolerable in the long run. Sweet. If those are the two. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Ordinarily, I got a question for you about Casey. Like, does he have opinions? Does he not want to try to be the Vitalik in the Dow situation and just let everybody else figure it out? Where is Casey at with this? Yeah, I, I don't want to speak for him, but we have talked about these issues. I think one thing that is important for him is this is a decentralized protocol and it's not owned by any one person. He also recognizes that ordinance.com has a fairly special significance. So he wants to move really carefully with any changes there and not just roll out new things that, that would make changes in a careless way. So he, he really believes in the decentralized nature of this and in evolving the protocol very carefully and in a way that that is more slow and methodical than fast and break things 
Gotcha. Yeah, that's not the answer that would necessarily lead to us having a quick resolution to this, but it does put it on us. No, and I think I think that's the thing, like, for us as a community, like, how do we find ways? I don't think, again, I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think he wants to be, like, the arbiter of truth for all of this. In the end, he has a certain vision for the protocol, and I think working with him on the collections and provenance stuff has shown, like, he has a very clear vision of... In retrospect, we, we said should probably should have launched later because there's a number of things I think we... You mentioned them earlier in the spaces, like having having the provenance features, having inscriptions in one transaction, the recursion features, like all of these things would have been a lot easier to build and implement and test and roll out without having this much usage of the protocols. And now it's like every little decision we make is affecting so many existing inscriptions. It's affecting so many players in the ecosystem. I think it's important for us as a community to find ways to come to consensus, to debate these issues in a way that moves the space forward and then find ways to also not have these discussions drag on for a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Uh, the answer is a little bit TBD on exactly how you do that in a decentralized system, but talking about it is for sure moving the ball forward. Yeah, Cypher, and then we'll go to Rock Joshi. Yeah, first of all, always love listening to Ordinally. I highly recommend, even if you are not a developer, you got to get on the GitHub and read a lot of what he writes and posts on there. I don't think he says a single word that is not important to people who care about this space. Then I also wanted to respond to Post's concern, because I, I feel like this is a rare opportunity for us to really engage with the idea itself. So I do understand the concern of UI UX. This is always a primary concern for a lot of people who aren't living in a terminal. But I feel like we've also already demonstrated that the community is more than willing to do what needs to be done on the UI UX front. Wallets have come along, miles, marketplaces have come along by leaps and bounds that I would have been unable to predict. I think to say that this would be a major problem for them is almost undermining, not saying you are, but I'm saying it, it almost comes across as undermining the work that they've done to make UI UX so excellent. And I feel like this doesn't inhibit that, it actually enables it. Because now, if an indexer or marketplace wishes to continue and not see these unique oddball experimentation inscriptions, they just check the flag and then don't display them. Now they can, without using a different indexer than the rest of us, if we move forward with this sort of idea, they would still be able to present the condition they want in a nice, compact, computationally efficient way. And vice versa, if a site wants to be very robust and demonstrate, hey, here's how the individual transactions break down. It'll be like the ether scan of ordinals, if you will. This is a huge step in the direction of enabling that by making sure that the data is always first and foremost from the back end. And then the front end can decide how to present that to the user in the way that makes the most sense for their use case. Yeah. I'm not a UX engineer. That's one thing I definitely am not. And I am consistently surprised by UX engineers' capabilities to show even like fairly sophisticated information in fairly intuitive ways. And so I was careful when I was responding to the United States. I don't know if that communicated well, but I don't want to say, no, that solution could not work. The quick reading to me is that it would complicate 
the heuristics, the data, the way the data is interpreted, and it would add challenges that I can't quickly think of solutions for. But yeah, you're right. Like I tried to throw in there as well that like sometimes complexity actually compels people to engage more, right? What we saw with the sort of requirements to run org was that people were like really enthusiastically tackling problems and learning new things and becoming node operators, which like dope, like that's so amazing and awesome. And I would love to see more of that. I don't know that I can believe that this translates the same way. I think this is a little bit, I think this is a distinct enough, different enough category of challenge. So the solution to this isn't spinning up a node, contributing to the infrastructure. The solution to this is just like processing some visual input in your brain a different way. You know what I mean? And I just, I don't see it. I don't see it having the same benefits and the complexity, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I look forward to discussing this back and forth further. And we talk on a somewhat frequent basis. I think that if all of the people I have seen commit to the repo, people like Greg, you, Ordinali, Raph, who are actually real collaborators on it, I guess I, I apologize, Ordinali. I was not implying we're anywhere near your level of contributions there. But if the people who have real gangster in the room, by the way, just for everybody that's listening, ordinarily is the he's the real gangster in here. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's why I had to make it very clear. We're by no means am I making that correlation. With that said, anybody who has written a pull request that's been accepted, if those people can come together and come up with a technical solution, then I have an immense amount of confidence that the ability for it to be implemented in a good way for end users is here. The people here, like you, you said it yourself, these front end engineers are monsters. I don't know how they do the things they do because I would just write a command line script and that works for me, but it doesn't work for the majority of people who want to buy it or sell or inscribe or God forbid we ever have DeFi protocols. Please no. <laughs> if at the end of the day you're going to loan your rock for money to buy a Bugatti so that way you can then parlay that into an egg from on-chain monkeys, I hope that it works nice and easily because the front-end engineers are awesome and I hope they have all the data they need because everybody on the back end wants to feed them the maximum amount of data to work with. All really good points there, Cypher. Rakyoshi, did you want to jump in here? I think that was a misclick, but just quickly. Yeah, I think Odinley is a pretty humble guy, and people may not realize just how significant he has been. So if anyone's listening and falls into that category, you should follow Odinley. He, he's been contributing to, to Odinley since December last year, at least, I think, and is an absolute beast and a good dude. But what I was thinking to say is I look around this space and I just see so many faces that have contributed to the ecosystem already. And like most of them have done multiple things that I'm aware of and have probably done a lot more that I'm not aware of and, and generally are just really nice people. And I think it's great that we can come together in a space like this and talk about this in a civilized way. Totally agree. I'm just going to read some interesting comments that I'm just seeing on Twitter. One is quote tweeting Ordinally's tweet saying... In the United States, people are given a social security number for identification at birth. When someone is born off the grid or immigrates from another country, they are given new numbers that don't affect everyone else who already has a number. How is this complicated? These are just, there's so many interesting takes on this stuff. Somebody was responding to what Post said, 
saying if there's no value in the number, then there's no asymmetric damage being done to the 1,200 early inscriber experimenters because they wouldn't care about the inscription number necessarily. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, people are going to have a lot of hot takes on this. And ultimately, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, po Post, do you want to respond to any of that or? Yeah, my thing isn't that the people who have done the experimenting should get some particular inscription number. My thing is that their, like, their effort should just exist, like, at all. And to the social, so that's the guy that's like, oh, inscriptions numbers don't matter. Then why do the experimenters need that inscription number? No, you're, I think you're misunderstanding the claim being made here. But the issue is that if you don't activate this until some block height, then the work done by those experimenters is never act. It doesn't exist. It's not real. So maybe then we look at the social security number one and we're like, okay, we give them numbers. We just give them numbers that are like tacked onto the end of like the current ones. The implementation for this is pretty wacky, man. You have to like, you have to go through, you have to index, you have to like shelf a thing. You have to say, oh, this meets the parameters after this block height, but not that one. So I'm going to shelf this thing until I get to the end of this indexing. When I get to that block height, then I'm going to assign these numbers. And now anyone in the future who's ever looking at the blockchain would, pro would, would never be able to sort out why the fuck you put this one from two months before after this one from two months after. You know what I mean? It's a very nonsensical way. And we're not dealing with human beings and we're not dealing with social security numbers. Yeah, it's not yeah, a very, I, don't know. It, I agree. It's just, it feels dirty. Like there's no question about it. The purest kind of clean way feels like to just get it right with the blockchain. Problem is there's obviously, I don't know. I'm going to put out a poll. I'm trying, I'm going to try and word it the best I can. And then a little bit here. And I'm just curious to see what Twitter thinks on it. And hopefully I'll point people to go reply, not just to the tweet, but to the actual GitHub as well, because yeah, ultimately, like we are all like the people on stage right now aren't necessarily representative of a lot of people that are just like your average collector in the space. We're all like building or working on a project or something. So I think we got to just get all of the voices out here. And just, I think it's really important to make sure people feel that they're heard and had an opportunity to share their voice and have weight in the process in some sort of way, even if it's very tiny. So I'll be trying to do that. And I think we should probably sync up with this again on Wednesday. Just keep talking about it. I think we've hopefully covered most of the bases here. Very ordinarily, I really appreciate you sticking around this long. Yes, I for. Yeah, just real quick, you brought up the tweet by somebody who is asking, why don't we handle it like, so, like social security numbers? That is literally where I borrowed this concept from. A lot of people don't realize your social security number has unique values assigned in it. Your place of origin, the date range in which you were born, as well as potentially some unique ranges used for other abnormal conditions. Um, it's very rare, but occasionally there are edge cases where you would get assigned a specific two digits based off being an immigrant or a repatriated citizen. So the it was actually a direct mirror of that system where I was trying to move the complexity out of the primary inscription indexing. Gotcha. Yeah. I think what we should do is we should, uh, we should compute inscription numbers from the inscription ID so everyone gets random inscription numbers and you all have to mine inscription IDs in order to get lower numbers. That's what I think we should do. <laughs> Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> See, I'm worried people are going to start shit down in the GitHub if I send them there. Because <laughs> so far it's been very, like, a pretty legit place to have conversation. But, uh, okay, Trevor. My take, honestly, is like the simplest one that I've heard is just to, at a certain block height, 
this change takes effect, everything before that doesn't go in. I just don't think that the, it's worth people who got the round number inscriptions. There's value to those, right? There's value to the 500,000 inscription. There's value to the 600,000 value inscription, 700, 800, 900, 1,000. And I think that the people who were tinkering around should also be aware of the fact that they didn't get an inscription number from the first one. I think given what the trade-offs are and given the complexity of this, like if there's not a better solution, like that just seems like the easiest one to me. So that's kind of the one that I would go for because I think like the rules should be the rules. And I think that if we stray from that, that will create complexity. But I do think that there's in between solutions, like having a, a different numbering for those ones could be cool so that they are at least recognized. So I would be in favor of that. I would be open to any other solutions that allow people who got those first, those round numbers to keep those round numbers, essentially. I would be inclined to agree with that if it were not that the documentation, the description of the protocol, and just a very like basic interpretation of what, where is the witness data that's inscribing? It's in an input, Right. Like it's an input in a transaction. If you're looking at this, there's really like the only sensible thing is that like the thing being inscribed is the first set of this input. And there should be no reason why there can't be multiple inscribing inputs. And there shouldn't be any reason why, like why the inscription input can't be the first input in the transaction. The fact that the protocol is currently consuming the transaction as a whole instead of the input does not make any sense with the documentation or the intentions of the protocol. So I think it's more reasonable to classify it as a bug to be fixed. I don't think it's horrendously significant or consequential either way at the end of the day. But I think that the more sensible thing is to address, is to make the protocol conform to the documented intentions of the protocol and also enable it to offer the application space that gets created by doing this. Yeah. And I get that take. I just think like a bug isn't a justification in my mind. Like, a bug is a bug, and that's still part of the consensus, in my opinion. I look back to the DAO hack as a leading example, and I don't think, obviously, the damage is as big as the DAO hack. But I think in the purest like Bitcoiner sense, it's a question of like where is the consensus, in my opinion, and the consensus has been for everybody inscribing, like tracking ordinals.com, essentially. We might interpret the DAO hack problems in different ways, but I interpret the DAO hack as problematic, not because the state was reverted, but because the state was reverted when everyone agreed the state should not be reverted. The community was very clear that they did not think at the time that the state should be reverted. And maybe you're right that the position we should take here is, again, that the state should not be reverted. But I think the problem with the DAO hack is not that the state was reverted. The problem with the DAO hack is that everyone said we should not revert the state and the Ethereum Foundation reverted the state anyway. So I can't vibe with the comparison until we're post facto and we see, did we update the protocol in a way that sort of respected the opinions of the participating market participants or the network participants, the contributors, that kind of thing. Yeah, say we were to have a vote, right? I would say the default is do nothing. And then a vote, I think, would be a potential option to maybe change that. But then how would you do the vote? Like now you're opening another can of worms. It's a good question. Yeah. That is going to require a lot of who's, if there's no vote, then I think the default is do nothing or change it at a certain block height. But because there's going to be neat, like how would you even do a vote? Now we have to agree on how to do a vote as well. That needs to be hashed out for quite a bit of effort. And maybe that's worthwhile. Maybe people want to have that conversation. And we probably should have that conversation. But I think the time to like make this decision is going to pass before we agree on how to even do a vote. 
So that is really the crux of why I wanted to earlier bring up the differentiation between the pragmatic and the romantic realities here. The romantic thing is that there is some mechanism by which you vote and you like consume the input of everybody who's participating in it and you do it in some kind of like meaningful, civil resistant kind of way where like you can actually interpret what you're looking at. And that's, that's a very complicated thing. Like thinking that romantic reality is going to be achievable is it's very romantic. It's idealistic. The pragmatic reality is that the only things that can be voted on are PRs that exist for the repo, right? If there is not a PR made, then you cannot have a meaningful discussion about which one is better or not. And so I think the first step is for people to isolate PRs, like actual implementable code, and look at, okay, we have this PR versus this PR, then you can discuss how to select between them. But without those contributions to code existing, it's all really just a circle jerk situation. Bourbon, what's up? What's your thought on all of this? Do you have any takes? Yeah, I'm actually the special guy that has inscription number 600,000. Nice. So I'm the ed guy, I'm 600,000. I know the guy who has 666,666. He has like a demon project and he did his whole marketing to target this inscription number. So if we shifted it like 1,200 numbers, he'd be out of this number and his whole marketing campaign, his whole idea, his whole geared towards hitting that number is pretty much ruined. I'm liking this Billy idea where those 1,200 only affect those 1,200 people and actually make them more rare instead of affecting 500, 600,000 inscriptions. So there are people that are actively trying to hit these numbers for let it be marketing purposes, for their project, for X, Y, and Z. If this would have came out a lot earlier, especially before 1 million, I think we could have nipped it in the bed and moved on. But since it's like after a million, we have 1 million, 100, 100,000, 111, whatever coming up. We got to figure it out before that one. Yeah, I'll apologize on behalf of hosts for targeting your friend's project like that. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, look, this is the kind of unintended consequences thing. It's just, again, for better or for worse, there's a lot of people that are invested in the numbers. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm also on team. If you run an ordinals marketplace, allow those orphans to be traded as a collection. I don't really see any downside. It's probably not even that hard to do. They're just sats that you send around the exact same way. I don't have a particular dog in the race and like how the numbers actually come out in the end. And if people's concerns, like this demon collection thing, like if that weighs in, then cool, that's fine. I think the thing that I would, if I had like a care, right? The thing that I would care about is that the work done and the applications development that has to do with this gets act and acknowledged, which actually I don't even have, I think I've got three maybe that would fall into the category for this. So it's mostly other people that have done work. And I've talked to a lot of those people. I've worked with a lot of those people, but they're not, it's not like they're my inscriptions or anything like that. But I do think like their exploratory spirit should be act. And I don't, I really don't even hate the idea of there being like a second layer. Okay. Before this block height, we just, we call these like unnumbered, like lost inscriptions. I Like I don't hate stuff like that either. I think the big thing, what really matters, the thing that I think absolutely does matter is us fixing the indexer so that it does index correctly at some point. Because if we don't do that, then we're strangling the application space for this protocol. We're really limiting ourselves. And I guess if I have my intuition is that we should just make it be what it should have been from the beginning, which is acting based on the input, just because it, it like makes sense to do that. But I do think like minimizing the damage done, minimizing the negative interpretations that people have, like all that's super important. Yeah. yeah, Post, I will say I'm probably with you on the user experience thing over Cypher, just in that 
yeah, I've just seen so many weird things over the past few years in NFT collecting where like the most simplistic mental model you can create for people where they like can sleep well at night knowing like it's not this complex thing to wrap their head around. Nothing's going to change. Everything's just very intuitive, works the way or I don't know, just feels intuitive. To me, the answer here to that probably is just keep the inscription numbers the way they are and people just won't necessarily care that anything's necessarily happened and then just fix this as soon as possible or in the next like week or something so that going forward we can use all these tools correctly but maybe there's a great case to be made that blockchain should be always the state and that's the clear mental model i'm against the idea of an explorer somehow baking these into the protocol in maybe a different order or something and then the explorers having to like flag things like a little differently it just feels like it feels dirty to me when I would be on that explorer, like looking at certain scripts. Yeah, I think the simpler, I think the simpler hit is the better hit at the end of the day. Yeah, say for. Yeah, so I should clarify. The only difference is I'm saying we index them with these flags instead of orphaning them completely, which leads to performance issues. I'm not saying we add them to the inscription numbers. We can choose to add a block height that we add them to the inscription numbers after. It completely circumvents this entire problem. If your goal is that we don't show these 1,200, the fact that I flag them means that now it's even easier for a front end to have them cached but not display them because they have an easy flag to go, hey, it doesn't exist here, skip it. So in that regard, it already solves the problem and it's not a user or it's not a concern for the average user because an average user isn't looking at like the data stored in their database. Like I think there's only probably less than, there's gotta be less than probably 10 to 12 people who actually know the schema of their index.redb. So this is purely a optimization of the back end for the people who are really getting excessively nitty gritty to make it to where no matter what the decision is, this makes it to where we can have that and also have high performance indexing of these old ones that won't interfere. Gotcha. It's interesting. I will say psychologically, at least in my head, there is a difference when you now index these things. It just feels like they're not necessarily orphans. They were actually meant to be part of the protocol, but like we put them in this weird way. I almost, from a collector perspective, like these things almost just getting left out of the indexer almost. And I guess ultimately people can implement their indexers however they want. And if they choose to include them anyways. But to me, it's like when you do bring them into the indexer, that is like an official acknowledgement by the protocol saying that, hey, like these don't have numbers, but they are official inscriptions. And I think like kind of part of the appeal to me of what Billy's saying is it's if these things are like truly orphans that aren't necessarily indexed in the official indexer, they're just like this in the middle of nowhere, just floating land. And I don't know, there's something, I guess it, it's silly, but there's something like fun as a collector to me about that verse basically saying, hey, these are the same as every other inscription. They're just not going to be numbered. To me, that feels, oh, yeah, these are real inscriptions now. So there is a psychological kind of component to it. That's interesting. Billy. Yeah, it's something someone mentioned crypto punks earlier. What I find fascinating about the V1 punks is when they were originally deployed, there was a botched contract, which 
basically had massive security issues. I think it was like you could, someone could buy it and then withdraw the asset. So they essentially, Larva Labs had to abandon that contract, reissue the kind of current punk collection, the V2 punks, and airdrop those to the people who had the V1s. And it wasn't until last January that someone created a, a kind of bridging mechanism to save the V1 punks and bring them onto the ERC-721 contracts. And that was a completely, at the time, considered worthless, fuck-up, like huge cluster bomb. I don't know why I didn't use F-bomb right there. But now they're trading for thousands of dollars and they have value. And it's now a more community-led project from the ground up versus owned by Yuga Labs type of acquisition. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm not like making the case for why these might have value. I think even just having this conversation, there's someone probably looking up like, how the hell do you get it in the second output <laughs> to inscribe? So I would almost say if there is a consensus, like that is the cleanest solution that kind of keeps things moving and it's simple and elegant, I would say the sooner the better, because now that you're just creating this pool of potentially valuable assets and we know how well the thing is we know how people operate. Other. If they all if, if every if all the demons go in and do this, there's gonna be like so many of them that like the narrative now doesn't really exist because there's there's no longer this exclusive collection. So it's like you guys can wreck each other by doing this as well, guys. And it, it is amazing that there is such a limited amount. It really means that it was either the same team or people were exploring the... Every time Post talks, I'm almost certain those are his 1,206 inscriptions. No, I'm totally kidding. My other stupid idea was to number them behind zero, but that's probably stupid. You're saying make them negative? Yeah, that's yeah. going to trigger a lot of people. <laughs> My bags would be not happy about that, Billy. But yeah, it's an option. I'm not going to say it's not an option. I think on that note, this has been dope, guys. I'm feeling much better about this kind of situation. I think we're going to get to something hopefully pretty quickly here that everybody's a fan of. For the most part, there will obviously be some people, no matter what, that aren't happy. But in general, I'm pretty optimistic. We've got a lot of people throwing some awesome ideas out there. So ordinarily, if there's anything, basically, we're here to support you in what you're doing. If we can support Casey, like if there's anything we can do, I'm going to tweet out a poll. I'm going to try to direct people to the GitHub trying to host the conversation here on the Ordinal Show. But if there's anything else we can do to help move this along, let us know. Yeah, I think this has been a great show, guys. Go follow the Ordinal Show. We will be back in about 48 hours.